Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. What is going on, everyone? We are back inside the tunnel crew here with you tonight, joined by Doug. It's been a minute, Doug. We haven't been on our game recently. It, it's been a minute. Um, we certainly apologize. It's not like there has been nothing going on in Virginia Tech sports since the last time we uh, we were on this podcast and we're trying to figure out what was going on with uh, the old head ball coach Justin Fuente and Baylor. So we got a little bit of talk talking to do today. Yeah, and since then a lot has transpired. Justin Fuente flirting with Baylor ultimately ended up either not taking the job or just deciding to return to Virginia Tech. Uh, both could be possible as well. Since then, there's been a lot of recruiting news. The NCAA transfer portal is striking back again. And then obviously Virginia Tech basketball and some of the woes on the road. Boston College, Miami have happened. Uh, but we're here to cover all that today. Uh, the first thing I want to mention, and probably the most pressing of all the events, the recruiting weekend upcoming, pretty big for Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech did land a five-star punter, Peter Moore. Does this, this get you excited? Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited. I could talk for 40 minutes about Peter Moore. So he's coming in this year, in the fall, and will redshirt, presumably, and then take over as a redshirt freshman for, for Oscar in 2021? I think the worst case scenario is that he beats out Oscar, which probably won't happen. But regardless, redshirt freshman punter with multiple years to play, five-star guy working with Ben Hilger. Just think of the possibilities. I think, you know, we talked about the Hendon Hooker, Quincy Patterson formation here. I think we should try and get an Oscar Bradford, Peter Moore formation going on fourth downs. Um, next season maybe just for four games to keep his red shirt on and i'm curious too i want to see if peter moore can sling the ball because oscar can't but if peter moore has a little bit of an arm in his arsenal maybe we see some trick plays down the line uh but moving on from the punter news uh got a got a big weekend coming up for a lot of juniors and some transfer guys obi obialo great name by the way the Marshall wide receiver entered the transfer portal. Big guy, 6'3, maybe 6'4, depending on which profile you look at. Uh, 220 plus pounds. Big outside receiver, had a lot of success at Marshall, now looking for greener pastures. Yeah, this is the guy that we kind of heard about along with that Duke transfer, and it was right before Damon Hazleton announced. Um, so so the, those, those instances lined up pretty quickly, but um, just looking for an outside receiver. Um, I've written a little bit about it, but if you look at the outside receiver depth chart right now, it's young and inexperienced guys like 
Jaded Payout and Elijah Bowick. Um, so they're looking for a little more experience, I think, another option there to give them a give another look to to figure something out this spring with that that second wide second outside re- wide receiver spot uh, lining up against Trey Turner. So seems like they've got a decent chance um, with them. I know Marshall and Virginia Tech's coaching staffs um, traditionally going back for years now have been very, very close. So um, we'll see what happens there. But definitely, definitely a look to fill the Hazleton role. And then some notable guys that will be on campus. Five-star defensive end out of Virginia Beach, Naquan Brown. Just a massive prospect, a guy that's been offered by virtually everyone in the country. Has a lot of ties to Virginia Tech. Trying to get Daryl Tapp on him right away. Very interested in Virginia Tech. And he's kind of the best chance at a headliner for Virginia Tech. Him and Tony Grimes, a five-star guy. He won't be on campus, though. Uh, defensive back Jalen Stroman, last name should sound familiar, brother of Greg Stroman, a bit of a more intriguing athlete, I would say, a little bit taller, maybe can play multiple positions in the Virginia Tech secondary if he chooses to commit to Virginia Tech. 2021 guy, not really highly rated, but neither was Greg Stroman. So four-star defensive end Landon Watson out of Texas, a guy that's been very vocal about his interest in Virginia Tech, maybe continues that Texas to Virginia Tech movement. Very close with Alec Bryant, the four-star signee, and Demetrius Davis, a guy that's committed for 2021. And then the last big notable name, there's going to be several other prospects that are making trips up to Virginia Tech, but four-star athlete Jack Hollyfield can play tight end, defensive end, linebacker, the taller brother of Dax Hollyfield with maybe a bit more athleticism. It's, a, as you said, a big recruiting weekend. And looking at just the four guys you named, there's, they're all just kind of like case studies for exactly what Virginia Tech is trying to do on the recruiting trail. You got Naquan Brown, a, a Virginia kid at a huge position of need at defensive end coming from the home state, which is exactly where Daryl Tapp as the assistant defensive line coach and Bill Tierlink as the, as the lead defensive line coach. That's what, that's the kind of guy that they're, they were brought in to land. Um, so there is an interesting, then you got Jalen Stroman and Hollyfield as the, the brothers of, of, um, you know, Dax Hollyfield as a current player. Greg is a f- recent former player. Um, so there is an interesting, you know, Virginia Tech's had such a long history of getting the brothers in, um, and then, and then you go down to Texas again with Landon Watson, which is the Texas two VT movement. And he's also a defensive end, which, you know, that's the TNT, the tap and tier link, tier link and tap, um, connection there. So four little three or four little case studies in terms of why Virginia Tech made these coaching moves. Um, is to close on these guys, particularly Watson and Brown, to upgrade the talent at the defensive line. And so we'll see if, you know, we get a, you know, I think people were disappointed by um, Quincy Roche's decision to go to Miami. Um, So this is an opportunity now to bring in, to bring in, you know, the guys at the top of the board on the defensive line, which is, which is what we've all talked about is is the goal now is to get the the guys on the defense line at the top of the board. 
side little tangent. I remember just tossing out the nickname TNT, wondering if it would stick, and clearly it has. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, so you're want... taking all the credit for that? I don't want to take all the credit, but <laughs> nobody else could have thought of that. Everyone else did think of that, but it was first mentioned on Inside the Tunnel, so we could take credit for that. Let's move on. Let's talk about the NCAA transfer portal. This was probably the biggest amount of headlines in the past two weeks. Damon Hazleton entering the transfer portal. Probably the most shocking name to enter the transfer portal for Virginia Tech. There was Khalil Ladler, Phil Patterson, Caleb Stewart, Ezekiah Grimsley, Jacoby Pinckney. I'm done there. That's it. So a lot of names that have entered the NCAA transfer portal. A lot of people are talking about this. Why Virginia Tech? Why is it every offseason promise change, promise a new culture, and all these guys are leaving? On a scale of 1 to 10, Doug, how concerned are you with the amount of guys leaving or the quality of names leaving? I think I'd put, put me at about a 4. Uh, if you're going to say five is kind of like on the verge of getting concerned four is not really that concerned. It could obviously go that way, but uh, most of these guys are, they're definitely not starters except for Hazleton. And, um, you know, he's a guy that he's a little bit of a unique guy and that he always wanted to be the number one guy. I remember last year we were talking about, I mean, it looked like there might be a chance he was going to go to the NFL after last year. Um, so not too concerned about Hazleton, um, or not too surprised by his decision, but, you know, I think the rest of them are, were either very obvious or very understandable. There's three, these days it's really going to be like three types or two types of guys that transfer. It's the guys that got passed over by a younger player on the depth chart. So that's, that's like Rob Porsche was all of a sudden the fifth defensive tackle this year behind Pollard and Kendricks, who are two freshmen. He's a redshirt sophomore. So not really he's his path to playing time is completely shut up. Um, Ellis earlier this year got beat out by Tavion Robinson. So, you know, you know, you're looking at sitting behind Tavion Robinson for three or four years. Stewart wasn't ever good enough. Kashawn King comes in to instantly ahead of him. So that writing was on the wall. And then same thing with, Grimsley and Patterson is that, you know, they were just, they lost. Grimsley was a starter at one point, but had lost his role as well. So um, it makes sense that later in their career, they're going to move on and try and get some playing time somewhere else. And then the other group is just the kids that it doesn't work from the beginning and they realize that um, Pinkney is the guy, is the one guy in that group. And I think he was a guy that early on, in August, um, he was he was he was impressing in practice and all that, and I'd even heard that he wasn't going to redshirt; that he was definitely going to play. He was doing that well in August, but um, clearly, over the course of the season, things things changed. Things um, it didn't become as obvious. And when you when you get a guy that transfers, you know, after a semester, basically, it's it's clearly not going to work. So those, I think, are the guys that you want that number to stay low. The other guys, you know, if you're recruiting 20, 25 kids a year, you're going to have the older players that get passed over by the younger players and transfer. It's the, the pick me group where you're recruiting guys. And then within a year or two, 
you know, they're not the right fit for your program that you want to avoid. I think when you look at this group, or at least the guys that entered the NCAA transfer portal, if you take out Damon Hazleton and Pinckney, I think I'm about a one or a two. Uh, but like you said, you know, Pinckney's a guy that had offers from Michigan, Alabama, South Carolina, like a lot of big schools. And when you're coming to a school like Virginia Tech, you are that four-star guy. You're one of the highest-ranked recruits in your state. You're dominating your high school competition. All of a sudden, you get to the next level, and you're not the guy anymore. I think that can be you know, a little tough for guys to make adjustments to, especially with a redshirt season and not really being part of the team, seeing other guys in your class like Tavion Robinson or Payout you know, playing in front of you or at least dressing in front of you can be a little difficult. But I think the bigger question here is really the talent evaluation. And a lot of these guys, I mean, Ladler, Patterson, Grimsley, these are guys that were identified by the former staff, brought in by Fuente and all that. But their connections began with Frank Beamer and his guys. And you look at some of the coaches at the wide receiver group, you look first, it was on Burden, then it was Holman Wiggins, now it's Jafar Williams. So there's been a lot of turnover in that room. I think that kind of adds to it as well. Um, but overall, I found a scale of one to 10 on a talent evaluation. I'm probably at a six or seven just because I think that the sheer number of guys that are leaving right now is a bit ridiculous. Um, but it's showing that the staff, when they're identifying these guys that they like and they're saying, slow down, we don't need that top 25 recruiting class. We got this guy that may be, you know, an 82 on the 24-7 sports composite. But trust me, he's going to be an All-American. I think we're starting to see that a lot of those cases, it's really not working out. So I think that's where more of my concern lies. Yeah, it's the talent evaluation and kind of the decision making Um as far as offering and, and going after guys, I think, you know, Caleb Stewart was a guy that burdened and was high on um, Pinkney was a Holman Wiggins recruit. So that's kind of some of it when you get that roster turnover or coaching turnover, you know, Wiggins leaves and that's, that's Pinkney's guy. And now, now his coach that basically solely recruited him is gone. So I think that's an issue. Um, I think one of the, the other, you know, Virginia Tech's numbers are high, uh, slightly higher than everybody else's. I think one of the, I mean, I guess the one of the big reasons is kind of what's happened since Justin Fuente has arrived and what he had to do taking three huge classes in 2016, 2017, and 2018 to, to turn over the roster, basically. And when that happened, the depth chart clears out for young players to start. And, you know, you saw that with this year with, you know, Hudson and Tenuta and Nestor playing on the right on the offensive line, you know, Dax and Tisdale are playing early in their careers. Caleb Farley played way, really early in his career. You're playing these freshmen and sophomores in this in starting roles. So so for the guys behind them that were part of their class or were coming in behind them, it's it's difficult to see a you know, a path to playing time anytime soon for them. So um so when you do that and then you tack on a six and seven season and a two and two start to this year, I think those guys that are sitting behind the starters, you know, it's it's easy to see them get unhappy with their role and unhappy with their playing time and want to move on at some point. So I think I think a lot of this attrition is is due to that in terms of they took big classes to to redo the roster basically. The cream of the crop of that 
those groups has risen to the top of the jet chart. And that's why expectations are high in 2020 and 2021. So the rest of the guys that got recruited, they don't have a path to playing time and they're, you know, so they're going to, they're going to choose to move on. So I think as if Virginia tech, and this is one of my concerns with talent evaluation and, and the management of who you're recruiting, if Virginia tech can kind of stabilize their roster and, make it so it's you know the last two years they've been so young and then the next two years they're going to be pretty pretty veteran heavy so if you can kind of massage that out where it's not such a discrepancy you you probably see these numbers come down to you know what's happening everywhere everywhere else and speaking about everywhere else great transition you're Uh, all the national perception isn't great it's not great for virginia tech there's been made this narrative that it's only virginia tech they have mass amounts of exodus every single season. There must be something wrong in the water. There's a culture problem. You name it. For the norm, I want to know, one, across college football, is this normal? Is what Virginia Tech is experiencing normal? And two, what should Virginia Tech fans expect? Are we kind of weeding out the problems now and going to see some resolve in the future? Do you think these numbers will start to go down? I mean, what should we expect moving forward? Yeah, they're they're a touch higher. You know, I think they're higher than anybody that hasn't changed their head coach, which is probably which is fair to be concerned about that. But like we've been talking about, I think it's it's understandable and who's transferring and why they're transferring. It would be a lot more concerning from a culture standpoint if like Norell Pollard coming off of he was a backup defensive tackle, but he played a ton if he was transferring or if Jermaine Waller, Armani Chapman, guys that are going to be playing big minutes, big minutes, big snaps next year. If those kind of guys were transferring because the culture was so toxic or because the coaching staff had lost so much of the locker room, that would be concerning. But when you're when you're talking about the guys that are transferring, they they were either going to be backups, you know, guys like Patterson and Grimsley and, and Ladler. That was kind of your like nice to have depth in that, you know, next year. If Tavion Robinson gets hurt, it would have been nice to have like Hezekiah Grimsley behind him. You can be like, oh, well, it's thank the Lord that Hezekiah Grimsley is the here as a, you know, fourth year, fifth year senior to take over now. But now there's a little question mark about who's going to be the backup slot guy. So that's your nice to nice to have depth you're losing there. But I think that's that's going to happen. That's just you know they're not going to play starter starting roles so they're going to move on just like anybody will um that's what the transfer portals changed is is how free or how easy it is to get notice that you're transferring now both the and base noticing who's transferring and also if if you're looking for a place to land um it makes it a little bit easier for you than it did back you know 5 10 15 20 years ago when when it was probably on you to contact schools that you were interested in and then hope that they were interested in you now that they just see it instantly. And so, yes, Virginia Tech is a little higher than normal right now in transfer portal. But I don't think it's going to continue at this rate. And I think it's a positive thing, at least, that it's not it's not the core group of guys that are leaving. Yeah, and I think that it'll slowly go down as the years go on. And I think we've seen a big emphasis on recruiting. You can say what you want about the guys that were brought in on either side on defense, offense, the sole change being Adam Lechtenberg moving to running backs coach. But, 
you know, it kind of ties into that talent evaluation too. It's start hitting on a lot of these guys. They're playing, they're rotating. You're able to have depth at wide receiver. You're not just relying on three guys. You're able to play Phil Patterson half the game or Ezekiah to spell reps for Pavion Robinson in the slot. If you're starting to hit on a lot of these guys, a lot less of them are going to want to leave. Uh, obviously, it's going to happen regardless. There's situations that are out of any staff's control. You can't hit on everyone. You have your Dylan Rivers, your Will Pritchard's medical retirements, uh, and then other guys that maybe are dealing with family circumstances and want to go closer to home. You just never know. So I think in general, you know, it will be around double digits, but I don't expect it to be in the high teens as it has shown these past two years. Yeah, that'll be attrition numbers as far as retirements from injury, retirements from people who just are done with playing football, which happens and, and from guys actually transferring and things like that. I think you made a gr- really good point about recruiting and how important it's going to be. And we keep going back to this this strategy where we, Virginia Tech just changed coaches to land the guys at the top of the board to recruit better. So if you're going to deal with the attrition, that's you know eight to ten guys a year, landing your top targets is going to be so important because it's going to make replacing those guys more comfortable um, at least if there's a situation where Virginia Tech loses a key player or loses a key future piece, um, you know, maybe it's not a starter now, but maybe he's projected to be a starter in a year or two. If you're if you're replacing that guy with, you know, say he's a defensive end and you're you're replacing him with the number two defensive end on your board for his recruiting class or the number six or seven defensive end, that's where you're going to see a drop off in talent. But if you're landing the top of your board consistently, you should be able to manage attrition without without falling off a cliff in terms of your talent level. The last thing about the NCAA transfer portal, it's not all bad news. It's not all bloomed and doomed. There is an incoming transfer. There's two, actually. Um, but the one we haven't covered yet is Rutgers athlete, I guess. Offensive yeah, weapon. Good, good description. Yeah. Weapon. Give him a weapon. WPN. Offensive weapon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Raheem Blackshear. He's a guy that redshirted this past fall at Rutgers. He had 29 receptions and 29 rushes, which is pretty impressive to do in four games, roughly 400 yards. So essentially hundred yards of offense per game. Uh, and then in 2018, he was a big factor and had 1,136 all purpose yards. I think the common theme here is all purpose yards, a guy that can do a lot of different things. Swiss army knife type of player. What is Virginia tech getting in Raheem Blackshear? Swiss army knife is a good, description um utility guy all around talent weapon um i think he's a i think he's gonna be a huge part of the offense and what he brings as a running threat and a wide receiver threat in the slot um people are gonna make the jet sweep jokes the guy's gonna take some jet sweeps but um i think i think what he does is not only is he a little bit of a cushion for tavion robinson um i think you know, Grimsley was, you know, his family issues and stuff kind of limited him all year. And Virginia Tech was pretty much down to Robinson and that's it in the slot. So now you've got two slot guys. So you got a little protection there. But you could also play two slot guys at the same time now, which I think is a different look than whatever they, you know, were able to do this year, whether that's James Mitchell in the slot or um, 
or or anybody else, Dalton Keene, anybody else they threw out there. It's a, I think it's a different look than anything they've been able to do. And then with him at running back, like there's a, I'm sure Brad Cornelson is spending his entire offseason scheming these things up, but you can, you can keep make Blackshear the running back and then still have your three or four, three wide receivers and a tight end or whatever it ends up being. And you're, what you can shift into and what formations you can come out of the huddle in are completely different. And you have so many options there where you don't have to sub in a running back and the defense knows that the running back's coming in. So um, I think he's a huge piece of what Virginia tech is going to do this, this year. You mean you watch his highlight tape and he's a, he's an elusive playmaker who is tough to bring down and um, picks up chunks of yardage at a time. So um, I think that's the kind of guy that, Virginia Tech needs and um, I think he's with Turner and Robinson I think he's probably the third guy in terms of talent and how much of a factor when you when you when you're that good running the ball and catching the ball you're going to get a lot of touches so I think he's a huge part of the offense in 2020. What I really like about him also you, you think about Khalil Herbert coming in. They're guys from Kansas and Rutgers, and you can laugh at those two schools and say, okay, they're bad. It is kind of funny, you know, kind of the doormats of the Big 12 and the Big 10, respectively. <laughs> but when you look at these guys and what they're able to do on really bad teams against really good teams, you just kind of have to take what they've done and put them into the Virginia Tech offense, put them with capable guys around them, and I think that they've proven that they could be these versatile weapons. Blackshear in particular, what I'm really excited about is a lot of the times when you see the formations, you see uh, Tavion Robinson uh, motioning before the snap, you kind of know it's going to be a jet sweep. It's very predictable. You kind of know what Virginia Tech's going to run out of certain formations, and with a guy like Blackshear, you don't know if he's going to be running. You don't know if he's going to be a decoy. You don't know if he's going to be blocking or if he's the primary option on a certain route. So I think what makes him really interesting is not only can he do it all, you can put him in multiple spots, but it's he's proven that he could do it. So now he's in a better situation. So like you said, Brad Cornelson, you know, he has the keys. He just has to make the offense work. And I think Virginia Tech has lacked a guy with this skill set uh, under the Justin Fuente. Yeah, you think about Robinson's skill set this year. Um, he wasn't the explosive, elusive run after the catch guy. And then he had the big one against Pittsburgh. But that was that was more that crossing pattern that Virginia Tech had so much success on this year. So um, he's a playmaker with the ball in his hands, a guy that can make He's one of those something out of nothing guys. Um, and you touched on it. Like he had to be one of the Rutgers's two or three playmakers, one or two playmakers. Like one. he was he was like probably one of the best players Rutgers had and therefore was the focus of every single game plan every single week and didn't have an offensive line around him to take the pressure off. Didn't have a quarterback. Didn't have a run. Didn't have anybody else to to kind of take the focus off of him. And now he kind of fits in and the Virginia Tech offense that's returning a pretty good quarterback. Returning a you know everybody on the offensive line. Trey Turner. You know I think in terms of joining a, an attack, he's you know 
going from a situation where the odds were stacked to against him to a situation where he's he's another piece that they're trying to account for on every play along with you know three or four other guys obviously we'll keep tracking the ncaa transfer portal and could be some more guys coming in, maybe Obi Obialo, the fourth strong in that one. He could be joining the mix. We'll see. We how just the... need to we just need to team up Obialo and Diablo. Like Ooh. I know that it's a shame Diablo switched over from wide receiver because those two could be together. But I think those are two high quality names. And they're roughly like the same height and same size. So it'd be interesting if they if they made some web series on them or something. They just switched the numbers on them a couple times, yeah. 17 and 71, but uh, moving on from the NCAA transfer portal, we'll keep you guys updated in the coming weeks. What happens, who leaves, who comes in. But I want to talk a little bit about Virginia Tech basketball. It hasn't been the best week. Not the best week. (laughs) Not the best week whatsoever. Virginia Tech traveling to Boston College last Saturday, losing 61 to 56. Boston College, not a good team whatsoever. And then a few days later, traveling all the way down to South Beach to play Miami, and they lose 71-61. to The first thing I want to say before we jump into what went wrong in both games, maybe if we're reevaluating our expectations, is how bad do the schedule makers, (laughs) like how bad are they that they schedule a game up in Chestnut Hill, right, in Boston College. And then two days later, Virginia Tech has to find their way down to Miami. I mean, it's just absolutely awful. I think, I don't even know if Virginia Tech was able to spend any time between games on a basketball court to even break down Miami at that point. Um, So, tremendous inconvenience to them. It kind of makes sense, but your thoughts on that? Yeah, if you, if you look to the schedule at the beginning of the season, you're like at Boston College, at Miami, they're, neither of those teams are very good, and those programs aren't historically, they're not tough places to play because of the crowd, they're tough places to play because of the lack of the crowd and what it takes to get up for those games. I think, you know, one of the reasons they lost both these games is because they're young and they and they don't, they'll learn to take care of business in those games on the road in the ACC, that it's still hard to win at Boston College. It's still hard to get a win at Miami simply because it's so different than everywhere else you go in the ACC. But you could have seen this two, this, these two losses coming if you looked at the, the schedule at the beginning of the season. But once you factored in a double overtime Wednesday night game against North Carolina, um, it's it. It was easy to see that the the you know the uninspiring performance come against Boston College on Saturday after that, and then and then the flight home with like maybe a shoot around Sunday afternoon, Monday in Miami, flight down to Miami, a game you know late Tuesday night. Um, you know this was a two game stretch that you're worried about just because. That's a, that's a tough road trip for any team, um, and you know clearly they they did not handle it well, didn't play well. Um, but I think you can attribute a lot of it to the youth and um, 
what it means to be playing, you know, I think we're about halfway through the ACC season right now. Um, this is the first time through for a lot of these guys, and they've now played, I think it's 21 games of college basketball. I, I, I don't think it's surprising that um, they're kind of regressing to the mean a little bit. Yeah, and I do want to try to or attempt to answer the question, why is Virginia Tech regressing now? They were doing so well, exceeding expectations, and I think now they've kind of leveled out just slightly. And looking at that Boston College game, you have a guy like Landers Nolly who's been carrying you all season, taking 17 shots, only making seven, having four turnovers, only 15 points. And then again against Miami, you know, not the strongest showing from Landers Nolly, 14 points on 15 shots. Uh, a, a guy that's kind of leveled out his play. And it looks good when he's on point. And I think the biggest problem with this Virginia Tech team, they lost so many guys from last year, and you need someone to come in and be the guy. And when he is, he is unquestionably the guy for this team. But if he's not performing, there's no one else to help him out. And I think one of the biggest problems about this Virginia Tech team in its current state is with all the youth, with all the people coming in, everyone else is kind of a role player that there's no other gamers out there. And you looked at Kerry Blackshear and Ahmed Hill and Justin Robinson. You have three guys right there that, you know, are making that impact. Nikhil Alexander Walker, four guys Uh, this year. It just seems to be one. And that if Landers Nolly isn't going, it's really, really tough for Virginia tech. If they're not making three point shots, and by the way, they were one for nine against Boston college in the second half. They're not making those three-point shots. If Nolly's not on his game, it's really tough for Virginia Tech to steal a win on the road. Yeah, and that's ex- this, that's exactly why Virginia Tech was picked to finish 14th in the league or whatever they were picked to finish at the bottom of the league. Is they got, you know, <laughs> people didn't even count Landers Nolly before the season started as a as a definite, you know, star, I guess. But you know, last year. Robinson, you touched on Robinson, Alexander Walker, Blackshear. Um, if any one of those guys has an off night, there's going to be two guys to pick up the slack. Right now, it's Nolly having an off night. You know, you you, you don't really know where you're going to get get it from. Radford has been a revelation for sure, but um, you know they don't have enough high level. They don't have enough guys playing at a high level right now to withstand a bad night from their best player. Um, and because those guys that aren't playing at, at a high enough level also, you know, they can't pick up the slack. So Aline, Couture, Cone, Beatty's, you know, he's, he's played well this year, but he's not an offensive threat, which is where you get bogged down. Um, PJ Horn has come down from his lights out shooting, um, so you got, you got a lot, a lot of guys that you just can't count on every night. Um, and, and that's going to be a problem going forward. And that's what every, everybody expected to be the problem. They exceeded expectations, you know, kind of got themselves in the NCAA tournament mix there for a bit. I think these last two losses really, really hurt them. But, um, I think you just got to keep the perspective of, what this team was supposed to be where they are now. They're well ahead of where they are now or where they were supposed to be. Um, 
and the pieces are there. That's I remember saying that at the beginning of the year, just got to take this season to look at your pieces and who's going to develop and who you think is going to, you're going to be able to count on going forward. And I don't think Jalen Cohn, Naheem Aline, Hunter Couture, even Ojiako have done anything to say, well, that guy doesn't have a chance of becoming a quality player in the ACC. So, um, yeah, they're going through a tough stretch here. Um, you know, but even even Buzz Williams's best teams went through a tough stretch. So they can get it back. But, you know, I think it's not surprising that they're they've kind of fallen off here now halfway through the ACC season with a with a group like this that's so new and so young and really only has Nolly as the guy that um, is is the focus of the offense for or focus of opposing defenses to, to defend. I think that's excellent perspective. You know, you don't want to overreact when things are going well. You don't want to pencil in Virginia Tech as a two seed after they beat Michigan State and Maui. And you don't want to overreact <laughs> after losing back-to-back road games. And like you said, you know, maybe you can't count on a lot of these guys. Uh, but you also can't count them out, which is important. You never know when Jalen Cohn's going to absolutely erupt off the bench and beat Syracuse off a three-point shooting performance and Hunter Couture playing good defense. Or, you know, Radford absolutely going off for 24 points and eight rebounds against Miami. So, like you were saying, there's a lot of these quality guys, and we're starting to see signs that if everyone kind of puts it together, this could be a, a quality team. Yeah, it's... It's the layover from the Buzz Williams era almost in terms of expecting to win and expecting to compete. And I think Beattie and Horn, you know, at the end of the day, Beattie and Horn are limited as starting ACC players. I mean, Beattie's a great defender and um, and has had a really good season. He struggled against Miami, but um, and Horn has developed into a nice little stretch five of sorts but he's still six five so they're they're limited in what they're going to be able to do but their leadership and their expectations for what the young players have given them has um has probably will probably be the most important thing for them for this program over the next two or three years as as the freshmen progress i mean i think if this kind of group was came in after like a James Johnson type tenure taking on a 24 to two run at Miami and being down. I think they got down 18 or 19 or maybe 20 at most probably would have folded up shop, but um, they, they battled back to get within four didn't necessarily um, pull it off. But, you know, I think that says a lot about what, how much they believe in Mike Young and the job Mike Young has done, but also, um, how much they are, how much that culture of winning has stuck around, and that, um, you know, they they're going to keep competing, and that's the biggest thing you can ask for from this group going forward. Is, you know, it is very very easy for it could have been very easy for this team to play like like the Wake Forest teams of the last couple of years or the Georgia Tech teams of the last couple of years, where they just get they take their lumps and get the doors blown off of them basically every time they go out. And, you know, those fan bases have to 
kind of look at it from the lens of they're taking their lumps and then hopefully by their junior and senior years, they're ready to win. Um, Virginia Tech's learning how to compete now, and that'll pay off next year and the year after that. Looking forward, Virginia Tech, you would love to get another bottom feeder in the ACC to kind of prepare for, rebound from. (laughs) But no, they get arguably the top team. Uh, Florida State, number five right now in the rankings. They did lose to Virginia at Virginia, but they do get them in Blacksburg. There is the home court advantage, Castle Coliseum. On a Saturday, will probably be pretty loud, um, and especially against a Florida State team. Quick thoughts on them. This is a very, like, this is the best Florida State team I've seen since covering Virginia Tech. They are so tough because they play so many guys. They play, you know, they have a rotation of at least 10 guys. Sometimes they're playing 12. Their entire bench gets in the game. So this is a really deep team, a really athletic team. And one thing that they love to do is pressure. They absolutely love to just tire out the opposing team, send in their guys on the bench, fresh reinforcements, nice little rotation, and just continue to just strangle the other team. Uh, and, and that's where they found most of their success. And then I guess the last point on them, they have a lot of size. So it's going to be a tough, tough test for Virginia Tech at home. What's your outlook on this game? Yeah, I don't think Virginia Tech has any chance. Uh, <laughs> they, I mean, they're playing at home, which will help. And if they have a great shooting night, but like Florida State, you touched on it. They're big and long. I don't know how Leonard Hamilton keeps pulling these these guys, um, but they're they're gonna when you run PJ Horn thirty seven minutes a game, um, and he's six. We'll give him six five. He's probably six four. Six five um, with basketball shoes on. Six, yeah, it's it's a terrible matchup. Florida State's a terrible matchup for a ton of teams. Um, I'm looking up their roster right now, and they have let's see, seven one, seven foot, six eight, six eight, six seven, six eight. <laughs> like pretty much everybody on their team is six four or above. Um, which pretty much matches what, okay, they got one guy who's 6'2". I don't even know if he plays. Um, but, yeah, it's a terrible matchup. And um, Florida State was fifth-ranked team in the country, or they are still, I guess, until the new rankings come out. But um, not a great matchup. It's, it, <laughs> it could, be, uh, could be an ugly day in Castle Coliseum on Saturday. Yeah, and again, these aren't just guys that are space eaters. They're constantly pressuring in the backcourt of the opposition, and they pride themselves on their defense and generating an offense based on their athleticism. So, you know, it'll be an interesting game. I think that Virginia Tech, like you talked about, they're not going to back down from a challenge like this. And I don't know how how big the margin might be for Florida State. I think they'll win this game and the skid will continue. But, you know, what I'm looking for personally is just to continue to see that fight that, you know, you talk about them, that they're learning to compete. And there's many times against other teams that they should have been out. They should have been looking ahead to the next game. I just want to see, you know, how much they can grow from a 
from an experience like this because it's not every day you get to play against a top five team. And, you know, the last time they played a top five team, actually, it might have been Duke. So the first time they played a top five team, <laughs> they beat Michigan State. So and that's a team that, again, had a lot of length, a lot of athleticism, of course, in Maui. But, you know, ne- you just never know with this group. Gotta shoot the three better than they have all year. 70 plus percent. (laughs) (laughs) Just everything's got to go in. (laughs) Everything has to go right for every player. Tyrese Radford has to continue. I want to see how well he does on the glass against a team like this. Yeah, he's a, I mean, that's his game. And um, he, I think he surprises people with how quick he jumps. And Chris Clark kind of had that too, where, you know, he's just going to somehow beat your jump to the ball. Um, but yeah, when you're going against giants that are seven feet tall, um, at some point his six foot one frame is going to limit him, but you know, I'm not ready to say it's going to be this weekend for sure, because he's, he's still awesome to watch. Regardless, I'll be excited to watch the game on Saturday. It's nice that it's on Saturday. It's nice that it's at Castle Coliseum and against a really, really good team. Whatever happens, happens. I'm just excited for it. To wrap things up here, we won't be doing a podcast next week, unfortunately, but upcoming is Super Bowl Sunday, a national holiday. The official end of football season. One of my favorite days of the year. Chiefs, 49ers, a little bit of Virginia Tech blood in the game. Kendall Fuller, a starter for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's repping Virginia Tech. And then I guess we found this out, but Antoine Exum, a former safety for the 49ers who was waived on January 1st of 2020 went through a tumultuous 2019 season with the Niners uh released on the 31st of August re-signed on September 1st the very next day I'm I assume that was with some bonus thing where the Niners were saving cash um, released again on October 2nd, re-signed with the Niners two months later in December, and then was waived on January 1st of 2020. So he's missed this little playoff run. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, if the Niners win, he should get a ring. And if he does it, then we need to, you know, start a campaign or something. Yeah, I hope he gets a ring because if he does... Whatever happens in this game, whatever outcome, whatever fan you are, or whoever you want to win, that means at least one Virginia Tech alum will be getting a Super Bowl ring from the Super Bowl. Yeah, he played seven games this year. He should get a ring. Yeah, 100%. Last thing before I let you go, Doug. Ideal Super Bowl spread. You're talking about food or gambling? <laughs> food (laughs) (laughs) good good clarification there but uh i'm gonna go you gotta start with a little buff chicken dip 100 um maybe hit hit you with some you know homemade wings um you know stick them in the oven for a little bit make your sauce on the side honey barbecues good sauce good easy sauce dip them in the dip them in the sauce from back in the oven under the broiler for a couple minutes good solid choice for their wings um Maybe some spinach and artichoke dip. Um, and then, you know, you got to get the little uh, pigs in the blanket and dip them in some honey mustard sauce. And, and, and I think you're set. And then maybe a nice 
uh, you know, fine pilsner or two from our friends at Miller Lite. Or 10. But yeah, no, I, <laughs> you nailed a lot of mine. I think I'm, I'm planning on doing something a little different. So I've been, I've been craving Cabo Fish Taco and particularly their pita and spinach and artichoke dip. Ooh, I can't like make it. Crab pita. Dip, but I'm going to yeah. try to make the fried pita. I'm going to try it. We'll see what happens. I have world-renowned wings that I'm going to make. A little nice. buff chicken dip. Um, and then, I guess, you know, just a party starter for everyone besides the pigs and blanket. You know, maybe a little chips and guac. You know, it's easy. Everyone likes it. You can put out salsa on the side. I never touch it. I always touch the guac. And, yeah, just, you know, some good drinks with the friends. Maybe a little sody pop action. But overall, that's my ideal spread right there. Yeah, you know, I think yours is pretty solid. Um, you know, I, I think I think if you're bringing, you know, bringing a, an item to a Super Bowl party, I think, you know, the easiest way is certainly to just go buy, like, the ring of shrimp with a little frozen <laughs> cocktail sauce. Um, so that's what I'll recommend. There's also frozen taquitos. Um, I have a friend that recently purchased, like, 56 of them. So I think we'll be enjoying they're still sitting in the freezer. They keep very well, easy to make, um, and everybody loves a good taquito. Or tater tot nachos. That's my last input on the spread. I, I'm on board with tater tot nachos, yep. <laughs> All right, any final thoughts for the people? Uh, nobody enter the transfer portal for two weeks. Yeah, see, cease hold on everything for the next two weeks, and then we'll be back to recap everything else. But we'll see you guys on the next one. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG.